0: I want to talk to you guys tonight about what the Lord laid on my heart recently, this week, the church. Let me talk to you just for a few minutes about the church. I love the church. Isn't the church awesome? And doesn't the church seem super weak and frail and hopeless and like the redheaded stepchild? No offense to redheaded people. The church is just weak and powerless, it seems, but according to Scripture, it's totally different. I was talking with my brother Jason this last Tuesday at prayer. The ecclesia, the gathered together ones, literally those who are called out of their homes and their specific lives, is what the church means, to be gathered together to a public place, actually to listen to counsel. The church, the gathered together ones. The church is built. The church is built by who, everybody? Everybody. Jesus builds his church. The church is not manufactured in a plant somewhere. It's built with the hands of Jesus. The church, you remember, was prophesied. The rock that the church would be built on was Christ Jesus and the revelation of Christ as the Messiah. I tell you, you're a Peter and on this rock, on Jesus Christ, on the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah that he got from heaven, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome the church. And then he gave Peter two keys. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And what did Peter do with them? Well, on Pentecost, he opened one door for the Jews to come in to the kingdom of heaven. And then a little while later, he went to Cornelius' house and he opened up another door for the Gentiles to come into the kingdom of heaven. And now the doorway has been opened. The door of the Lord's favor the year is open for us to come in to the kingdom of heaven through the church. Glory, glory be to God. Praise the Lord for the power that we have in the church. The church is like a muscle car that's sitting there warming up, I feel like. It's like a jet sitting on the runway just ready to go. We, I've never seen the church in its full form and function. I've read about it. I've prayed about it. I've wanted to see it. I'm believing I will before I die, but I've never actually seen it happen. I'm guessing neither have you. I've seen glimpses and hopefulness of of what's coming, but I've never truly seen like what I read in the book of Acts. I believe that's what the Lord wants to do here. The church is a glorious thing. Look with me in Ephesians chapter three. This just had to, I had to stop in my tracks earlier this week. Ephesians chapter three says in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forever and ever. To Him, to God be the glory in the church through all generations, including the one we're in right now, and in Christ Jesus. We're gonna share as the bride of Christ in the glory of Christ, not just in this age, but in the one to come forever and ever. God will demonstrate His glory through what He did in the church forever. Forever. That's kind of crazy to me to think about. The seat of God's glory on planet earth is you and me. It's the church. To Him be the glory in the economy, in the nation. No, in the church is where the seat of His glory is. It's an amazing thing to think about what the Lord has in store for us. And I guess tonight, I just want to maybe remind you of who you are. Remind you of what our calling is. I'm reminding myself of these things and what I believe lies ahead for us. The ecclesia, the called out ones. It's a a group of people. And I think I read verse 20 in Ephesians chapter three individually, and I think I'm wrong to do it that way. I think it's more than that, way more than that. Now to him who is able to do super abundantly, immeasurably astoundingly more than we can ask or imagine, than all we can dare to ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. He's able to do more than we would even dare to ask or imagine according to, and you remember this, in accordance with the room that you've given him to work in your life. So watch, Mene says it this way, the greater capacity, the greater the manifestation. The problem is, I think I've read this individually too long and I've thought he's able to do in me, which is true individually, he's able to do in me way more than I individually could ever ask or imagine in my life according to the faith that's at work in me. But what this passage is saying is read it corporately. He's able to do in y'all. He's able to do in all of us more than we together could ever ask or imagine according to the capacity we give him, according to, it says, the power that we've allowed him to work within us. Come on. So the greater capacity in the individual, the greater glory God gets out of that individual, yes? The greater capacity in the church, the more room we give him to work, the greater glory he gets in the church, Very, very simple, I know. But I'm telling you, the Lord is saying, I'll do more than you could ever ask or imagine if you just do it my way. What's God's way? Well, let's look real quick at what he says about the church. Just let's go a few sentences before this. It's way bigger than just an individual. This is an ecclesia call. This is for all of us. God says in verse 19, and we know that, this love that surpasses knowledge surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God Paul's saying, I want you as a church to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Take a a left one page with me and go back to chapter one. Look at verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. What is the church again? The church is his body. What does that mean? It's the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's who you are, you weak sinner people who are struggling during the weeks. That's who you are. You're actually the fullness with me of Him who fills everything in every way. So go back to verse nineteen of chapter three, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the church. The church is the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. It's uh, our minds are a little small, I think, to understand this. At least mine is. Look with me in verse 10 in chapter 3. God's intent was that now through y'all and me, through the church in El Dorado, the one church, the manifold wisdom of God should be proclaimed or made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God is teaching angels a lesson through you and through me. They're actually in class. Angels long to look into these things. We're, we're on display for the host of heaven. He's proclaiming now and in eternity past, eternity present and eternity future, his wisdom through us, the church. He's using us as a sounding board, as it were. He's saying, look what I'm doing in the church. Look look at the bride I've drawn out for myself, the body of Christ, I'm gonna talk about in a minute, the the army of Christ, um, the building of Christ. Look at the church and I'm preaching to you, angels. And angels are watching as we display the wonders and the glory of the Lord. They're watching with bated breath. Creation watching too, to see the sons of God being revealed with bated breath. I hope I can have enough faith this week for money. Hope I have enough faith to not sin this week. I'm telling you, we're so much more than we think we are. And I say that humbly. We're so much less than we think we are, but church, we're so much more than we think we are. We, We think that we're just called to live our little lives. Angels know better. Angels know better. They, they're, they're eternal beings. We think we're good. Angels know better, right? Because we've got guardian angels living with us all the time. They see what's done in secret. They know better. We're not good. We think we're insignificant, but the angels know better because they see us seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And they see us with powerful, powerful weapons at our disposal. Angels know better. Chapter two in Ephesians Starting in verse 20. You're God's household. You, starting in verse 19, sorry. Consequently, you, you church people, my brothers and sisters, you're no longer strangers, foreigners, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also, get this church, you're members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, oh, here we are a building now. We're not a bride or a body anymore or an army. We're, We're a building now. We're a house. In him, this is where we're joined together. In him, the whole building is joined together. Not in a denomination, not in a version of scripture. In him, the whole building is joined together. And in him, we rise. The building rises to become something it's not currently right now. The church rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And if that's not good enough, in him, you too, y'all and me are, look at this, being built together to become something we're not yet, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I thought the scripture says, heavens can't contain me. Are you going to build a house for me to live in? God said at one point. But God says here, you're being built stone against stone. Why? To have a pretty building? No, so that God can dwell in your midst. That's his whole goal in the first place, to dwell. So start with me. Remember with me, if you would. God um, started in the garden, and he walked with them in the cool of the evening, and he was dwelling with Adam and Eve. They did what they did, and we end up with Moses out in the desert place. And in Exodus 25, God says, have them build me a sanctuary where I might dwell with them. God's trying to get back to something he started with. So let's put together what is representative of what's in heaven, and let's put the Ark of the Covenant, let's put a tabernacle in there, let's put the Holy let's make a a tent sanctuary for God's presence to dwell. Then in Ezekiel chapter 37, he gives this prophetic utterance about what his intentions are long-term. I think this is beautiful. I'm just going to read it to you. Ezekiel 37 Chapter uh, 37, verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put, listen, I will put my sanctuary among them forever. What kind of a God wants to do this? My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that the Lord I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to get back what was lost in the Garden of Eden, and then it's all summed up in Revelation 21.3. Behold, we're going it's it's to hear it, guys, with our ears someday. Behold, The dwelling place of God is now with man again. We will see his face. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. See, the bookends start with the garden and end in the garden in the paradise of God. God is getting back to dwelling with his people. That's the whole point. He's getting back what was lost. So the church is made to be a dwelling place Of God by his presence. We're the house of God. Remember with me, if you would, when Solomon dedicated the temple? Remember that? They they get up to the point of of Solomon's praying this prayer, it's in Second Chronicles seven. He's praying the prayer and the fire of God falls down. And the smoke of God falls down and the priests weren't able to perform their duties because the temple was filled with smoke (laughs) and everybody's on their face like they were at Mount Sinai before the presence of the Lord. Powerful, powerful moment when the Lord actually fills his temple. You remember when Moses and Joshua in Exodus 33 were at the tent of meeting, everybody stood away and the the cloud came down and settled over the tent of meeting and Moses would go in and Joshua would go in and Joshua would stay after Moses left the tent because what's it like to be in God's presence like that, like he was on the mountain? I don't know, you tell me, I just experienced a little bit of it during worship. We have access to it all the time. It's peace, it's righteousness. It's hard to press into the tent. It's hard to make the walk to the tent, to the quiet place. But when we do, how does it feel, everybody? It's like a warm bath. It's so good. I'm refreshed. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. I got gladness forevermore. Every time I get into his presence, I feel healing. I feel my mind. I just did it earlier this week. my, My mind just healed from wrong ways of thinking. Crooked places made straight. It's so good, isn't it? The temptation is to stay away. The warfare is to keep us out of that place. God wants to live with us, to dwell with us. Okay, so the church. Metaphors for the church. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, a building or a house, and an army. Those are the main metaphors for the church. So Paul is OCD on kingdom order in the church. One of my favorite verses, Romans 14, kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we have right relationship with God and others, it leads to peace. When I have peace, the abiding presence of the Lord in my home, in the workplace, in my relationships, I got joy. I got a release of joy. Order's a big deal in God's economy. And so I, I saw a couple of things here this week that I, I wanted to point out to, to you. I'm gonna focus in on two, the, the army metaphor and the body metaphor and what order looks like in an army and what order looks like in the body because I believe that's what the Lord is doing. So go with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus chapter one, verse five. The reason I left you in Crete, Titus, was so that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right or set straight what was out of order, put it back in order. And I am by no means a Greek scholar, uh, but that word is epidotharo or something like that. It comes from ortho, where like an orthodontist sets your teeth straight, and so what he's saying here, remember in Hebrews 12, uh, I think it's three, where it says, let every um, uh, weak knee be made uh, strong and, and, and everything that's crooked be put back into place. I'm butchering that scripture, but, but every broken joint or ligament, let it be set with a splint and let it be put back into place. You all know how it feels when a rib pops out of place, a little tiny rib pops out a fraction of an inch where you can't breathe and you're shut down, or your back goes out of whack, a muscle gets pulled in your back. So what he's saying is, the body of Christ has to be in order, in order to function how she's designed to function. Okay, this is super easy for us to understand in a family situation. Dad leaves the family and leaves the mom to raise the kids. It can be done, but everything gets out of whack really, really, really fast. We're seeing this epidemic of fatherlessness all over the United States because he's not in his proper place. The proper order he's put him, right? There's not righteousness, peace, and joy in the home. In the church, if the body is out of alignment in any way, we need a spiritual chiropractic appointment, which he's telling Titus as an apostle and apostolic duty, set things right, set things in order. Okay, so that's the, the medical term that's used for the body. Take a left with me and go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says to the church in Colossae, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see your order or your orderliness, or I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is a different word for order. This is a word called taxis in in the Greek. And what that means is like you're in rank and file, All the soldiers are lined up. No one is AWOL. No one's missing. You all are marching in lockstep. You have your discipline intact and your ranks are unbroken. And Paul says, I'm delighted to see that in the church because we are soldiers for Christ, yes? Just as much the bride as I am the house, as I am the soldier. So he says here, an AWOL soldier absent without official leave is damaging to the body of Christ. We all know people who have gone AWOL, right? Soldiers who have left their posts, who have turned their backs. They've maybe even gone to the enemy's camp or they're just missing. What does that mean in an army? Well, it takes morale way down and it provides more work. It produces more work for everybody else to have to do. Michelle had a word tonight when we were uh, praying for 5 to 5.30, and and she just talked about a teacher who has a room full of students, and one student's paying attention, but the rest of the students are just AWOL. They're not paying attention. And so that student's getting called on for every single answer to every question. And then there's a heavy task load put on that student because none of the kids are paying attention. She was talking about when the church begins to function as she's made to function the workload's going to go down. It's going to be peace. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be so much fun. And we're going to see this in our day. So two different types of order. And so what I want to ask you tonight is, are you in order in your position in the body of Christ? Or do you feel like you're out of order? I think it's a fair question to examine ourselves. Are you in the body of Christ in such a way that you're cooperating with the being built together? In Ephesians 2.22, y'all are being built together to become a house where God lives. Look, look with me, if you would, uh, in uh, Peter in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, verse four, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You remember this, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's an action word. And I'm just wondering, are you cooperating or are you competing with the being built together with the living stones around you, especially the annoying ones. Being built together to become something that we're not yet. What I mean is this, God is drawing you to people around you. It's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit in you loves to fellowship with other believers, yes? God's got certain people in your life that he's drawing you to. He's got you being, he's got certain people that are coming to you. You're actually coming into other people's lives and there's this dance, this relational dance where living stone against living stone gets put together. There's already tons of that that's happening, but there's more that needs to happen and there's more to come. I've never seen an uncut stone fit perfectly up against another uncut stone. Have you? Bricks do that. Man makes bricks. But uncut stones have ridges and edges and they don't always fit together at the beginning very nice until they're worked into the place where they lock with strength in there. Are you competing against that? Are you sensing the work of the enemy to come in and disrupt unity with other living stones? And are you being tempted to run away from your place on the wall? Please don't hear me say. Are you coming to equip on Saturday nights? Are you a part of my thing? That has nothing. This is the church of the living God, which is way bigger than any one expression. But your involvement is vital. I know, I know, I know that there's tons of condemnation out there about this. I don't want you guys to hear me say this, but I'm telling you, in the normal functioning body of Christ, you got some friction. There's some friction, some healthy friction that happens around you, just like in a marriage that you have to work out and get to the other side. That's okay, that's okay. Are you being built together with those around you is my question. Paul says to maintain unity in the spirit. It's not something we have to create. It's already there. God is putting you in order. He's doing it right now. He's putting you in order as a member of the body of Christ. He's straightening what's been out of line, and he's putting you in order as a soldier, a rank and file in the organization, where he's actually saying, you're not AWOL anymore. You're stepping up to your ministry. You're stepping up to what the Lord has for you in Christ Jesus. This is why I'm so excited about what Chris and Julie are doing. I don't need everybody to do a youth group called The Summit on Wednesday nights. Holy Spirit just called them to do that. And they said, yes, we've been prepared. They've got history. The Lord's, it's just the perfect timing for this. He's got something like this for every one of you. Doesn't have to be a youth group. It could be something totally different. But I'm telling you, everyone has got a ministry created from the beginning of time for you to walk in. Every one of you. This is where Christianity gets really fun. Okay, Jesus said, I'm gonna wrap up with this. Make them one, Father, as we are one. I want, in John 17, I want them to be filled with the full measure of my joy within them. What is that going to be like? Then, in John 17, 23, then, when that happens, the world will know. The world will know that you sent me. Greatest evangelism plan ever being built together to be a temple where God dwells. Fire attracts a crowd. The power of God in the temple in the New Testament time scared people to death. It scared them to death. They didn't want to fall down dead because of lying about their tithes and offerings. But the ones who did join came in with the right premise. Everything is yours, Lord. I have nothing to hold back. I have nothing to hold back. I'm completely surrendered to you. Here's a couple practical thoughts for you as I wrap up. What does it look like for you and me, for all of us, to be built together? What does it look like to be being built together with the body of Christ? Well, let's take one word out of the middle of that and let's just say, be together. That's one quick answer to how do we do this. Be together a lot. Work hard, pray, pray, pray with the saints, do prayer meetings as much as you can, fast, seek the Lord, and then play hard. Laugh, have fun, play games, share a meal, drop your kids off for other people to babysit, go on dates. Yes? No. All right. Number two, keep working it out, come back to the table. Think about this as a marriage. It's so much more high. The church is so much more of an eternal calling than a temporary marriage for 10, 20, 50, 60 years. We're eternal relationships. I want you guys to think about this as a marriage. In a marriage, I don't tell Lizzie, we had an agreement. I'm out of here. I'll go find another wife. That would be bad. That would be divorce. And it hurts God's heart. But man, I'm like, Chip. I got a disagreement because you like the Packers and I like the Chiefs and I'm out of here. I'm going to another church. where I don't have to see your face anymore. And it's just normal. Like we think divorce in the church is just normal. And I'm like, oh, it's so bad. It's like destroyed so many hearts. Like it's destroyed so many people's faith, shipwrecked of faith because a church splits. Some of you have been through some of them. It's divorce and it's ugly. Yes, divisions must happen. If, 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 if a spouse leaves the other one because of un- they can do that, that's not up to you, that's up to them. People leave if they want to. But as far as it depends on you guys, we're, we're working it out. We're coming back to the table. We're like, we, divorce is not an option for us, right? In a marriage you say that, you say that in the church. It's not an option for us to separate. We're going to work this out. Number three, do not give up, get to the other side of the argument. Right, Zeb and Candy? I mean, have you, guys, you guys have had one fight, maybe in 10 or 15, no fight. So when you guys have a fight someday, you'll understand how this goes. It's so important, you, you need to be able to like live in the same house. Like do the cold shoulder for three, four, five days, but you're like, ah, this guy stinks. We gotta work it out, All right? We gotta live here, Right? Well, we're part of the same house. We got to work it out. <laughs> Just work it out. We got to have the hard conversations. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. And all those rough edges get worn off. And all of a sudden, boom, we're together. We're like so together. We're like committed to each other. Like marriages are sweet after 50 years, not because they haven't had an argument. It's because they've had 5,000 arguments and they've worked through them and gotten to the other side. That's what makes a church sweet. Amen. So I'm just telling you guys, don't give up on each other. Work through it. This is what it looks like to be built together. Number four, bless one another. Galatians 6 says, do good to all as you have opportunity, but especially who? Those in the household of faith. That's an interesting verse to me. Joanne Stotts brought Lizzie Dinner that I stole some of after you brought it from, from uh, play, uh, Cafe Maurice in Wichita. Just gave it to her. She just walked in and gave it to her. I'm like, I love Joanne. She found her way to my heart. She brought dinner to me. I love that. If y'all give me a gift, Dina and Alan Funk gave Lizzie and I a ridiculous gift. I'm just like, I love the Funks. They're awesome. Now, maybe that's selfish because they gave me a gift, I'm like, that's how you respond to people that bless you. We're blessed to be a blessing. Just give people stuff. If you don't want to give them a gift, encourage them. Encourage their heart. Give gifts and give encouragements. That's how we can be built together. Fifth and lastly, they've all been positive up to this. Here's the negative one, but it's, a, it's an important one. Say it with me. It's three words. Do not gossip or listen to gossip. Okay. <clears throat> this is a killer, and we all know it, right? Gossiping is, a healthy mind doesn't speak ill of others. That's a good phrase to remember. A healthy mind does not speak ill of others. Never say something about a person that you're not willing to pick up the phone right after you say it and say, I just said this about you, and I want you to know. Now, if you're willing to tell them the truth in love, say it all you want. Say, I told this person... Gossip is is deadly, and I want you, and I know you guys know this, but let's let's treat gossip like cancer in a bowl. And someone come up saying, Hey, take a spoonful of this. Take some cancer, it'd be great. And you're like, gossip is is like that. It spreads, it's bad. We've all Gosh, it's it's devastated. Yeah, that that's that's an easy one. Do not gossip or ever listen to gossip. Practice this instead. Gossip about people's virtues. <laughs> Spread rumors about how godly they are and how, according to the spirit, they're so encouraging. I just love Tyler Norris's gift of prophetic service to people. You know what? He just blessed my socks off. You should go. And then somebody else, yeah, I feel that way too about Tyler. That makes me love Tyler more. I feel like I'm built up as a, as a house with Tyler when we do that. Matt Osborne's such a father in the faith in Eureka. I wish he wasn't here so I could just brag on him some more. But like, I love people that I brag about. Gossip about people that way. Boast on their virtues in Christ Jesus. Learn to shut up. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. I wish I had learned this earlier on and slow to become angry. Learn to not talk so much. How do we get built together as the body of Christ? Be together, work hard and play hard. Keep coming back to the table. Be endurant about this. Keep on working at it. Don't give up. Get to the other side. Bless one another with gifts and encouraging words. Don't gossip or listen to gossip. Some practical measures for us to be built into the house where God dwells by his presence. I said I was gonna be done. Psalms 35. One last thing for you. One last thing. I'm just so blessed by friendships in here. You know what a true friend does for me? True friendship someone who rejoices in what's best for you. A true friend is someone that rejoices in what's best for you. Ultimately what's best? God's will. A true friend is someone that says this might be hard to say but The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Let a friend rebuke me. Let a brother rebuke me and it'll be like oil on my head. It's such a good thing when a brother, sister in love says, I love you enough to tell you this. Psalms 35, 27 says, may those who delight in my righteousness or my vindication. Old King James says, May those who favor my righteous cause. Amplified says, May those, my friends, who want what's right for me sing and shout for joy and gladness. That's what a true friend does for your righteous cause, for what's right for you. We sing and we shout for each other for joy and gladness. May they, and may we, as the body of Christ being built up, be always found saying to each other and reminding each other, the Lord be exalted. Man, isn't that a good thing to say? The Lord be exalted. He's so worthy. It's almost over. Carl Davis comes into work every day and says, and says this to me. We're just here for a minute. It's almost over. We're almost done." Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's good. The Lord be exalted. He alone is worthy of praise. The Lord be exalted, comma, who delights in the well-being of his servant. The Lord be exalted, Crystal Hatvik. He takes delight in your shalom peace. I'm just so blessed by you in the Lord Jesus. And the Lord takes great pleasure in your welfare and your prosperity, your soundness, your completeness, your contentment, and your peace. That's what shalom means. As a friend, as a brother in the Lord, I'm like, yes, glory to God for Crystal Hapvik. May your shalom peace rest on her and may she know that you actually delight in her having shalom peace. Is that encouraging to you? If we did that all the time, think what church would be like. True friends care about God's best for their other friends. And true friends say things like, God is good all the time and he delights in showing you peace and favor and well-being. Sorrow may last for the night, brother or sister, but I promise you, he does not afflict willingly, Lamentations 3. He does not afflict willingly. Joy is coming in the morning for you. Hang on, brother or sister. He delights in showing you favor and mercy. And so we can just prophetically remind each other of this as we're working, as we're playing, as we're meeting all the time. True friends rejoice in the Lord's best. So may we do that. Okay. Stand up, shall we guys? Just want to ask you, if you would, just to take a moment, just to search your heart, just to say, Lord, am I cooperating with you in your building program? What living stones... Are you bringing around me that I'm chafing against? I want to cooperate, Lord, with being built into a spiritual house. Guys, if we do this, we're going to see it. We're going to see what we've been longing for. The glory of God is going to dwell in the church in such a way that's going to make the whole world know They will know us by our love. Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would reveal assignments in the body of Christ. Ministries in seed form would come forth. Just ask him if you would, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. least one in here, the one who feels like they've wasted life or wasted time. Restore the years the locusts have eaten away, Lord. For the one who's tired of coming back to the table and working out relationship issues again and again and again, endurance tonight, Lord. I pray for protection against every work of division that the enemy is seeking to accomplish in the church. Hedge of protection, Lord. I pray you'd lift our minds up to understand who we are as the church. Help us to understand more. Holy Spirit, I pray in this room, I pray for the ministry of the Spirit to go forth in this room in Jesus' name.